And so does that put us in, into a bind? And that's what yeah. he's, he's going to say. <laughs> so the, the our, our opponents will say, ah, see, look, it's arbitrary. Great. <laughs> right. You but, admit it, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I <Yeah>. won. <laughs> yeah. There you go. All right. Walk away. We're all done. Uh, so the, the, that option is a reductio ad absurdum against the divine command theory. That is, if the divine command theory really does imply that we would be obligated to rape had God commanded it, then the divine command theory is obviously wrong. Well, I mean, the, the, again, the, he doesn't talk about it here, but I think that goes back to your worldview. Who cares? What, 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 so what? You know, it, again, we have this understanding that we want to bring in uh, uh, a value of other people's well-being or, uh, you know, uh, a sense of building a stronger community, a sense of survival. But at the same time, you know, OK, fine, but I don't agree. Th therefore, I can do whatever I want. Right. And I'm only constrained by the might makes right of society or uh, the, the, the law or, uh, you know, my, my own value at, at, at the time of, of decision. And so uh, he's going to uh, speak against that. Uh, Sonata Armstrong, I, I, I like this quote here and um, I think it illustrates it. Well, if a divine command constitutes our moral duty not to rape, for example, then what makes it morally wrong to rape is just that God commands us not to rape. Moreover, when God commands us to do or not do any act, we have a moral duty to do or not do that act. I find this view incredible. <laughs> if God commands us to rape, that command would not create a moral requirement to rape. Moreover, even if God, in fact, never would or could command us to rape, divine command theory still implies the counterfactual that if God did command us to rape, then we would have a moral obligation to rape. That is absurd. And so this is, to, to take it out of the whole rape category, this is what, um, I think it's Bertrand Russell, you know, if you uh, uh, died and went to God and faced him, you know, what would you say? And he'd shake his fist and say, not enough evidence. Yeah, right. And yeah. so that's been the kind of the new atheist <laughs> mantra as, as well. And so um, it, 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 I think that is another question that, that, that brings up of, you know, are we actually trying to get to uh, truth and having consistency or are we just trying to um, find evidences towards our own position? And so I think that's that, that's not covered here, but I think that's definitely an important question that uh, that needs to be asked as well. Uh, so this is an actual argument, arbitrariness. Okay, who cares? Yeah, yeah the Senate. Armstrong, yeah. give us an argument. No, no this is just, absurd. I don't like this. Yeah, that, that, that's that, an argument? Right, that, that's his argument. Yeah. Uh, it, it assumes that this is a poor choice, but, you know, again, that's not that's not an argument. Notice something else he says. If morality depends on what God thinks, then it's not independent of whether anyone thinks so, and then morality is not objective. And so he and I are in agreement here. Morality, on my view, isn't objective in the sense of person independent it's person dependent mm. so then what does that mean what person is it dependent on right right so what he's doing here is going through several uh, objections right. to the divine right. command theory the right. first one is this arbitrariness objection right and he kind of says uh, you know uh, so he looks at this and he says no 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 it is person independent right or it's not, rather. It is dependent. It's person on dependent, mm -hmm. yeah, dependent on person. The next one, then, is uh, the the uh, objection of, then, why do you call God good? <laughs> right? So that's the next objection. He says there's a common objection level at the divine command theory, one that can be encouraged by the way we, uh, we theists describe God's nature. 
Again, Senator Armstrong objects that according to traditional theism, God is all good, right? Okay. And from that, uh, this fact, theists go on to conclude that God must be loving, generous, faithful, kind, and so on. His objection says this, this line of reasoning assumes that it is good to be loving, generous, just, faithfulness, faithful, and kind, and that those things. The complaint then seems to be that we can't identify God as good without falling into a trivial tautology, mm-hmm. right? In other words, uh, it goes something like this. Hmm. And he, talk, he quotes, uh, he talks about Louis Anthony here objects that the divine command theorists are using the term good merely as a synonym or placeholder for commanded by God. But we're not allowed to do this, right? God is where we get our definition of good in the first place. So to say that God is all good is merely to say that God is like God. Well, we haven't said anything, right? right? God is all good. What does that mean? Well, God is like God. Well, wait. What? <laughs> what? What is? You know, a equals a. Right. All right. Yeah. Ag- yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Yes. So he says, okay, fair enough, right? He says, fair enough. So he's going to say, maybe we shouldn't say it that way, right? He says, let's limit, uh, remedy this problem by refraining from phrases like "God is good," at least while we're doing philosophy here, right? Otherwise, we can go for it. Is what he says. Uh, (laughs) Instead, he says, we'll just simply say that God's nature determines what's good. And so now he's 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 kind of met that particular objection. All right, fine. I'll give that to you. Mm -hmm. That's that's you know, that's a tautology. That's just repeating redundantly saying that. So he says, "Okay, fine, let's use God's nature determines what good. The main thing, though, that he wants us to remember in any case is that good is defined as what? God values. Mm-hmm. So that's the so, so arbitrariness uh, objection. And now the, I don't know, we might call it the tautology objection, right? Yeah. right? And, and you can get around that, he suggests, by saying, well, God's nature determines what's good. Right. right? So the, you've, you've added something to the argument there. Yeah. So why should we obey God? How is morality any different from etiquette or fashion? Uh, you know, what is coolness? Well, coolness is just uh, the things that uh, p- people like, so that they value it. That whatever popular people happen to, to like, it thereby becomes cool. If that's the case, then there's nothing inherently true about cool things that gives them their status. Okay, fair enough. And in one sense, that's, that's correct. But what makes morality different from coolness is that it's God who determines the standard of morality, not merely humans. So again, the, there's this, this separation of, of, yes, there's persons, and so we're, we're, not, we're not outside the, the bounds of our definition of person's value. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, persons give value to, to things or ideas, um, but uh, God is different than, than humans. And so um, th- that, um, that the, the qualities that make up God are, are important here. So if humans were the final world in morality, the point would be have more weight. In fact, it's spot on. Of course, this appeal to a difference between God-ordained morality and human-ordained coolness isn't going to impress uh, this person, uh, and she'll doubt whether God can make uh, enough of a difference. And so the real question is this. Here it is. What is it about God that makes him, relevantly, different from humans? Why should we obey God? Is it because if we weren't, we'd uh, we'd be punished? Okay. Or is it uh, because he created us and so has authority over us? I think that's an interesting point. These strike people as as less than admirable reasons for uh, doing what God says. And, and, you know, atheists have have had a lot of objections to that. So uh, 
Antony here says, one does not owe allegiance to another being simply because the being is stronger, and it doesn't matter if the being in question is responsible for your very existence. No one thinks that an absurd uh, abused child is morally obligated to obey abusive parents. And, and so the, those are some of the things that, that, uh, that we see. And so we shouldn't follow God just because he created us. So, uh, you know, what's the point of following God? Why yeah, should that's, we? That's her, that's her objection, right? Yeah. All right, fine. So he created you. So what? Does that mean that you have to do everything he says, right? Yeah. Or he, you know, he is stronger than you. Yeah. So that means whatever he tells you to do. Give the bully the lunch money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so, yes, there, there is some points uh, to, to be made here. And so this is why we ha always have to be careful with our definitions and our argumentation. Obligations aren't simply things we just have to but are moral and therefore person-dependent on, on Dr. Stokes' account. Most theists, or at least many that I know, aren't motivated primarily because God is stronger, nor even simply because he created them. They obey God because they want to. Hmm. On the other hand, God's authority and power are nothing to sneeze at because God is in charge of the cosmological establishment. He can be its lawgiver. And I think that's very important here to, you know, when, when we talk about question of authority and things like coolness. We're, we're defining uh, a, a group of people who uh, think that's cool. And maybe it's just you. Well, I think it's cool. Right. And therefore, you put yourself as authority of what? whatever coolness factor is, or you say, uh, a lot of people think beards are cool. And so, well, okay, are you putting that in the reform camp? And if, if uh, you don't have a beard, you can't be reformed? Or are you putting that in kind of the, the yuppie hipster movement? And so uh, hipsters think beards are cool. And so, therefore, it's, again, person, person dependent. Mm, mm. Uh, it's not, uh, it, so it's technically maybe what uh, might makes right, but God's infinite power is certainly one of those things that sets him apart from human lawgivers. And so when we talk about, um, you know, uh, you know, the law doesn't think, make things moral. Well, yeah, that's very true. Right. However, if you have perfect people that, that can determine, you know, everything that could come about and all the objections raised and, uh, uh, you know, uh, d determine if uh, when a law should come into a, a, an account, then th there's way more value in that law right. than just an arbitrary, well, uh, we're responding to terrorist attack. And so we need the Patriot Act to come in to, to be able to spy on you to help protect you. Well, what <laughs> if we had that maybe, you know, six months before 9-11? Would that have solved anything? That's I'm not trying to make that argument here or there. But if, if you have people that uh, see uh, the history um, from from above it, if they're not involved in it, if they're uh, uh, not human and 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 uh, don't have a, a a physical spot in the universe, then there's more to uh, the argument than than just uh, it's just arbitrary. Uh, God is uh, different than humans. So this is one reason why atheists find God so distasteful. They can see him as an overbearing authoritarian oh, dictator. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. So he just tells us he's he, you know he bosses us around. He's, <laughs> right. he's a dictator, right? right? We have to do it. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> jeez. But most theists see it differently, viewing God as a loving Father who cares for them and as someone they can trust, despite not fully understanding why he is doing the things that he does. Right. So there's a distinction here between dictator and a loving father. Right. 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 Yeah. And of course, we do want to follow and obey a loving father. I mean, mm -hmm. We have to follow a dictator. Right. Right. But we want to follow follow a loving father. Right. right? I, I um, 
I, I know this more now than ever being, being a father myself. <laughs> don't sit on the couch like that. Oh, I'm just being overbearing. That's what my daughter thinks. And so I have to bring her over and I say, no, if you fall backwards, you're going to really mm. you know, hurt yourself. Yeah. And so there's an explanation there that I'm giving that says, I'm doing this command, not because it's arbitrary, but because I... I was there, or I can see the bad outcome. You're not stable enough. Mm. I, I need you to grow up a little bit more. And so I'm giving you this command to do it, and then I'm explaining the, the reason for it. So I'm doing it because I love uh, my children. All right. So we don't. So God doesn't do it because we don't obey necessarily because of punishment and that sort of thing, right? There's other motive motives, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and so, uh, rather than obey often enough because uh, that children love their parents. Uh, the, because they love their parents, feel loved by them, are grateful for the care and comfort that parents provide. Uh, there's a sense of loyalty, belonging. All these things that is, is what uh, Christianity talks about, being being sons and daughters uh, and the children of God. Uh, the, the, this is the, the same type of language uh, that, that Christians use. Right. So her objection was that, well, you know, hey, the only reason why you're obeying God is because you're, you're, you're he's a bully and you're, fe- you're yeah. fearful or of he's punishment. abusing you. Right. Yeah. Or the only reason why you obey God is because, well, he created you. Well, you know, just because parents, you know, have, have offspring, that doesn't necessarily mean. And he says, no, 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 that those are not necessarily the reasons, at least for, right. for the Christian. Right. right. We obey God because. He loves you and you love God. Mm-hmm. Right? There's a relationship there, right? right? A right. parent and child type of relationship. Parents obey their parents, or children obey their parents because they love them, right. or at least, uh, you know, as they get older, they do. <laughs> <laughs> we would hope, right? right. <laughs> they rebel just as, as we rebel <laughs> against God. But the bottom line is this we obey God because we want to, and we want to because we value certain things. And thankfully, God can influence our values. Again, I, I write my law, law upon their hearts, and I change the, their hearts from a, a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. We are being given a, a divine sense, uh, a, a renewed change in our value. I, that, I mean, that's, that's, that's what Christians have been saying about salvation is, is my values for my sin, myself, how I look at the world, completely changed once I became a Christ follower, and there's a divine influence there that 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 christian christians claim occurs and so then it's uh, a sanctification process is what we call it uh, a a continuation of changing and growing and understanding just like a child does as they grow older and we rebel and we still have our you know don't bite your fingernails please <laughs> I, I i've told that so many times well why is that because i don't want you, your fingers to get hurt but you keep doing it because it's a bad habit and so uh <laughs> you know it's not a it's not a perfecting uh uh thing because it's not a complete overriding of who we are because god values yeah. us a uh, little, little sermon there so uh, god absolutely must influence our values before we want to obey him because before we value the things he values through regeneration sanctification god is said to change our hearts to change what we value in this case of Christianity, God values are becoming our values. More again, morality requires persons, and now we come up to uh, a, a further objection here. Yeah. <laughs> so really, what? So this. So the. So he ends this chapter with a series of questions that he really hasn't dealt with. Right. right. He says there there are some important but irrelevant. He thinks these questions are irrelevant. Right. 
So he says, I've really only given a thumbnail sketch of how God might ground morality. There are many more questions, he says, that might reasonably be asked uh, about the divine command theory, right? And, and many of them, he says, are epistemological. That is, they have to do with what we can know, mm -hmm. right? Epistemology is a study of kind of the nature of knowledge and truth and that sort of thing. So, for example, how do humans know which God? Right, that's an important, Very right, important question. Of all the religions, we should obey. Uh, similarly, how do we know what God's commands are? Right. Uh, also, what are the real origins of our moral intuitions or belief? Is God the source of these beliefs? Do social biological explanations of our moral beliefs, if true, count against the divine command theory? Can our moral beliefs have both a natural and supernatural origin? Right. Suppose, moreover, that we have in mind the God of the Old Testament and uh, the New Testament. How do we reconcile some mm -hmm. of the embarrassing right passages? So yeah, God <laughs> commands Abraham, for instance, to kill Isaac. Uh, which other parts of the scriptures that seem to portray God as someone who would do such things? So these are important questions, he says, but they're really irrelevant to the point that he's trying to make. Right. Right. He says the answer to these questions are important, but a little, but of little substance turns on them for what I'm arguing. Moreover. Even if my account of how God grounds morality is wrong, indeed, even if there is no God at all, this wouldn't affect my main Ooh. point about morality. Interesting. And what is it? It's that if there is no God, then morality depends ultimately on human tastes and desires. Mm -hmm. And so he says he's, he's added the discussion of how God might ground morality in order to allay some of the pretty obvious concerns about my person-dependent theory of Values. So notice, if no God, then it depends. It's it's not independent. Morality becomes because you have to have a person. That's what he's saying. You have to have a valuer in order to have morality. You have mm -hmm. to have someone right. who values something. So if there's no God, then it falls on us, right? Our our taste, our desires, and uh, so that's why he says uh, he's trying to make a point here. Right. Yeah. And and so then we need to be careful if that were true. Uh, okay, uh, we've been evolved to, to have empathy for people, and so we should um, we should follow that. Okay, well, what if I don't want to? I can go against that. It's it's not, you know, uh, an evolutionary explanation might might be helpful. I'll, I'll, I'll grant that. But there's nothing that says that we should be emp empathetic because our nature uh, tells us to, because I can always go against that. There, you know. Uh, it, it's it's in fact that's the point, right? That's yeah. what, you know uh, we have choices to make right. with regard to what we what we are going to do and not do. Right? Is morally it, speaking, is it empathetic to uh, save my child from a bus than somebody else's child? You know, well, that's an arbitrary decision, then, right? So th there's no <laughs> the, the, when, when there's a moral claim there. You know, th th there is, and so there's no there's no answer to it if it's just well, it, I preferred my kid over the other one. Uh, but you know, what if the other kid is the next Einstein, or you know, what, what, no, what my kid you? is. Well, I mean, that's 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 true. <laughs> my, my my child is objectively cute. That's, that's my joke. Um, and so, uh, I, I guess I guess uh, he he will he will deal with uh, um, moral nihilism next, and and we'll we'll um, come up to the final couple chapters here. Uh, why should unbelievers then? Uh, do what God commands. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean that that's a that's a big one too. So right. so if 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 they do, so well, there's lots of answers. To oh that, yeah. Right? Oh yeah. But the, the, so the question could be, you know, why should unbelievers 
If God is not the, the ground of morality, then all they have is themselves, mm-hmm. right? And so, uh, you know, and so do you really want you, your desires or other people's humans' tastes, right, their desires to be the ground of morality? And he's suggesting, look, you have to have a valuer in, in, in order to have values. Moral values need a person, a mm-hmm. valuer. So it's either you stuck as an unbeliever with yourself or somebody else or other people, right. or you have this transcendent God mm-hmm. who uh, is confined, constrained, he says, by his nature, so that uh, that is the ground, the foundation of it, and then we find that out by his commands with regard to uh, you know what he tells us to right. do in terms of what's uh, what we should or ought to do. And he does call uh, people uh, from from a Christian perspective to come to value what he values, to yeah. come to trust in him, to be changed. Now, there's implications to that that we're right. not going to get into so, here. Yeah. But but th- it's not it's this isn't like a, a subspecies. Like right. Christians aren't a subspecies of <laughs> or or or, or the, you know the perfect species, and then you know all the unbelievers are you know the icky mor- morlocks that hide <laughs> under the the earth and and, and carry us away. Right. Um, you know, th- th- there's a they're call. neither icky nor morlocks. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> but, uh, some some of you might be. <laughs> just as some of us are. Yeah. Um, so so why should the unbelievers? Well, there are lots of reasons. Right. For instance, God commands us to do things for our good. Right. Right. So the unbelievers should seek because of who God is, his nature. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, You know, he's perfect. He sees outside time. He can see what's best for you. And so they should do what God commands. Otherwise, they're stuck with, you know, what they desire and what other people desires. And how do you choose between those? There's, you know, how is that not arbitrary? A a, a purposeless universe where you're stuck in, in sin, whether or not you believe in sin i mean it, th- th- there's there's a a um you know calvin calls it a sensus divinitas that yeah. th- th- there are there are ways that uh people act that they don't even uh, know and this is one of the things that presuppositionalists point to that point towards their understanding that there is a god and so yeah. th- there's there's a desire to live consistently. Why many skeptics aren't skeptical enough is, is the, the subplot of the book, and so that that's what uh, would be the call here too: is uh, live consistently. Uh, that, that that's what we all uh, recognize is is uh, the best argument is one without uh, inconsistency, and so you should throw it all away and understand arbitrariness. And so your your um, suggestion that the Holocaust is bad is just yours and and you, you can group a few people together. Hitler certainly didn't think so. <laughs> right, right. And so, uh, you know, live consistently. And so that's what Christians uh, call even unbelievers. And so, uh, you know, in, in Romans 1, Romans 2, uh, you know, even even the, the Gentiles form these laws and then go against them. So there's an understanding that there's a, a pointing towards a, a, a value to, to the to order and and God's order would be the ultimate order in this. So so yeah so that finishes this particular chapter. We've answered right? it, right? Yeah, yeah. Or at least I, I told you just it. wait until next chapter. And this <laughs> yeah. this was the one. So. Right. Yeah. So the yeah. next so that's chapter seventeen. The next chapter is chapter eighteen, and he's going to talk about living with moral nihilism. Yeah. Right? So moral nihilism is the idea that there isn't any morals, right? right? <laughs> and, Nothing uh, matters. Yeah. Everything. <laughs> No, no, yeah, no morals. It doesn't exist. It's a, maybe it's an illusion or it's a feeling that we have about things, but they, they really don't exist. 
So we will uh, pick this up next time mm-hmm. with Chapter 18, talking about living with um, moral nihilism and see where he goes from there. Yeah. Right? Yeah, uh, you know, again, all the uh, the places uh, interact with Facebook, Twitter, uh, YouTube have comment sections. Um, you're maybe listening to this on iTunes or your favorite podcast one. Um, so if you want to go uh, our website uh, again, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and and interact. And what's what's your uh, kind of take on this? Did he answer the objections well? What are some uh, critiques that you might have yeah. of this? Yeah. Um, we'd like to know. We'd like to interact with uh, with you and uh, maybe do them kind of towards the end of the uh, end of the book and, and see um, uh, where uh, both believer and unbeliever might have uh, questions or issues with yeah. uh, the argumentation. So also for those of you who have subscribed to our channel we, and our, our various podcasts and that sort of thing, we really do appreciate it. And Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. So we, we appreciate that. Thanks for sharing our stuff too. Yeah. It's appreciated. Uh, so uh, again, uh, continue on the, the road to the cave, the, from the cave to the cross and uh, we'll see you next time. See you next time.